down the far side, got a man open in the end zone. Stills grabs a touchdown. Kenny Stills, what a pair of hands. Lehman showing blitz. There's the blitz. Yesterday, man, they're scared. Damn scared. They're scared, and that's not to our advantage. You're up against a scared man, a scared team. Super job. You're a champion's undisputed champion. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bud Berry Bob and Beer Podcast. I am your host, Kamiyar Moravian, joined by my co-host, Stephen Brown. Steven, it's hot, and it's not going to get any easier. It's actually going to get worse over the next week. <laughs> I heard, uh, I did hear a meteorologist say that August should be not abnormally cool, but uh, a significant drop off. So I guess uh, we're paying the price now to uh, you know, get some nicer weather in in, in August. But how is how, how has your day been? What are you what, what have you been up to? I've just been working all day. We're a little bit late on the podcast. I was kind of telling you about that, but it's been kind of a busy week for me. Just work-wise, so um, obviously today's been a big. Uh, it's a good thing, kind of. It's just all at once. It's not really like a different workload. It's just all condensed. But you had that on top of what OU is doing, and it turns out to be a pretty busy day. Yeah, so it is like 2025. I mean, like we we talked about it last pod, and we alluded to it several times. Like you mentioned, it was the worst kept secret. Uh, and Tatum committing to Oklahoma. Uh, I think we've talked about him a, enough last week because this week, Oklahoma, they just got a commitment today. Uh, oh, what, a couple hours ago, I guess, uh, from Elijah Thomas, four star out of Shakota. He's 6'1, 183. Uh, the dude is, I think he's ranked the second best pro, uh, prospect for Oklahoma in 2025. Uh, I can't. I believe you second. And then they also have uh, secured the commitment of Kamori Moore, who is 6'1", 295, from Lee North Summit, a teammate of Williams Winieri. And then another Sooner Lean, 2025 wide receiver, four-star guy, and 6'1", 185, is Isaiah Mosey. Also a Lee North Summit guy who would be, again, Williams Winieri's teammate. So, just talking about, because I know you're very, very high on Elijah Thomas. What are your thoughts on his game? Because I think he's more fluid, and I think he can be more of a game changer than Isaiah Mosey could be. But that's just my look at the tape. Yeah, just on first watch and, and just going through and kind of following him along. Elijah Thomas kind of reminds me, and this is going to be a big, I don't know if this is a comp, but just as far as like a natural feel for the game, it's a lot like C.D. Lamb, right? Um, probably not as big as a, like a frame, but just a really fluid guy, a lot of speed, natural instincts, can go up and get a ball. He's just got just really good situational awareness. Uh, he's pretty much the complete package as a wide receiver. Um 
as far as 2025. And I wouldn't be surprised if he moves. I think he's like 143 right now in the national mm-hmm. rankings. Mm-hmm. He's probably a top 50 guy. He's going to be that good. So uh, Oklahoma got a huge commitment today. I don't think people really realize, um, probably because it's just so far out. But yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's going to be an absolute playmaker for OU. Eight Sperry's been out there too, um, really, really rallying those guys. I mean, he has he's been more of a guy and a 2025 quarterback commit that seems to be rallying the troops for that commit that commitment class, the recruiting class, if you will, uh, more than Michael Hawkins is. But that's not to say Hawkins isn't also trying, who's also a sooner legacy, just like Isaiah Mosey is a Sooner legacy um, or would be a Sooner legacy if he committed to Oklahoma. And so would you say then that Elijah Thomas probably has a very high, like, cause you mentioned he, he's just natural. He's fluid, not the biggest frame, but that doesn't really always matter in wide receivers. I mean, like, heck, you look at C.D. Lamb in, in the NFL right now. I mean, yeah, is he a little more jack? Can he lift heavier weights now? Sure. But is that frame still the same? Yes, 100%. It's still the same. And so would you say his IQ, just his natural football IQ of seeing the field, is one of his strengths because you mentioned his uh, just natural ability on the field. Do you think his IQ plays a part in that? Because you mentioned situational yeah, football as well. that's his biggest strength. I mean – his frame, I don't want to say he's just a small guy because he's, what, 6'1", maybe six feet tall. Um, and to his credit, a lot of people that have followed him through the summer and the camp scene have said he's put on some good weight over the summer. So um, when you go back and watch a sophomore film where he kind of gets pushed around a little bit, I guess he's probably not going to have those issues, at least as far as the high school football scene in Oklahoma. So, um, But IQ-wise, I mean, he's just – a tremendous athlete that just knows where everything is on the field. Like it's, it's a very impressive get for Oklahoma. Uh, one of those guys that just kind of pops off on the film film right away. Sure. And, and I, I like his, I, I like this film a lot. I mean, not to say that I didn't like Isaiah Moses or anybody's anybody else's. I mean, they're still having to stack the coffers. I mean, kudos to Emmett Jones. This dude has been doing, work on both sides of the ball and like in in the Sooners need the wide receiver depth. I mean, we have to go back and think about how much wide receiver turnover and depth that they've lost and that they've had and that that's gone to the transfer portal for various reasons, whether it's they just want more playing time. Um, I mean, you, you catch a second rounder uh, evaluation for Mims. He goes in the second round and then you lose uh, Mario Williams as well uh, due to transfer of course so Lincoln Riley would tell you took him out of the transfer portal not from OU uh and so it's good to see Emmett Jones making an immediate impact for Oklahoma even plays a game and he's made immediate impacts for 2024 and 2025 and so going on to the next guy that's uh, that committed a little bit earlier this week uh before Elijah Thomas did today is Kamori Moore again Lee North Summit, six foot one, two ninety five, defensive lineman. It's not like this guy is just a nobody, and that he is just being recruited because he is the teammate of Williams uh, Winieri. But he's like, because if you look at his profiles on like what two four seven rivals, it'll show you that like he doesn't have 
bad offers. Like Iowa State, Nebraska, uh, several other teams have given him offers. It's not like OU just offering some random guy, random teammate of Williams uh, Winieri to get him in the boat. And so would other than like depth and a guy that is sure sweetens the pot for Williams Winieri in the 2024 class, what would you say about Kamori Moore? Because he is 6'1". He's not like that large defensive lineman that Brent typically goes for or once, but he is also 295. I don't know how much of that is baby fat uh, and how much of that would be turned into actual functional strength. But what are your thoughts on Kamori Moore? Yeah, the six foot one doesn't really bother me. Um, just because you want you want to be low when you're a defensive tackle, nose tackle kind of guy. So, I mean, you look at Aaron Donald, probably the, one of the best guys to ever play defensive tackle. He's six one. He's not a huge guy, but uh, you know he's he can get underneath those pads. He can shoot gaps, that kind of thing. When you look at Kamari Moore, I don't want to say he's the same build, but he's he's shorter, but he's he's like a boulder pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. And you see what two ninety five, three ten, somewhere on his weight. You think it's probably you know there's some bad weight in there somewhere. There there always is with high school athletes, but he's a pretty flat bellied guy. So I'm uh, just kind of reading some stuff and seeing seeing some stuff on Twitter. There's a lot of people around that program that think he could be pretty good um, in the long run. So right now he's a three star. We'll see kind of where he goes, but I wouldn't be surprised if he moves somewhere in the top 300 eventually. If you had if you had to comp him to like a even if or to a role like a movable object that is not going to be pushed around, like what what does he have a higher ceiling or does he have a higher floor? I guess is my question. Uh, higher floor. I don't know if his ceiling is going to be like elite. Okay, but I think he could be a very serviceable player for Oklahoma. I think like. Like a Jordan Kelly, I'm to think of a guy. No, maybe like a, a Casey Walker. Okay, would that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's super rotational. Gets in the ball game. Can make a play or two like here. He, or there. He's gonna make some plays, but he's not gonna be out of this world like an impact player. Sure, sure. Definitely a rotational guy for for sure. Okay, and that makes sense. And then also, I mean, like I, I, you mentioned this today. I also saw it today. Uh, the idea that Isaiah Mosey was a name to look out for on the Sooners radar, another wide receiver, 2025. Like I said, Lee North summit. It's no coincidence as well. Again, that Williams area also goes to Lee North summit. Also Eli Drinkowitz at Missouri has to be just like beside himself that Oklahoma is just, just destroying any <laughs> recruiting class that they're going to likely have. So, they were already poor in the sec. They're going to get even more poor. What are your thoughts on him as a sooner lean or as a guy that Oklahoma would definitely take? Yeah, there's a lot lot of smoke today that Mosey was pretty close to being a decision. If that decision came today, it would probably be Oklahoma. Um, And who's to say, you know, he doesn't make an announcement an hour tomorrow, next week, something like that. Uh, but it's pretty clear as far as OZ or Mosey in Oklahoma that they're pretty close. I would give Oklahoma the bet as far as landing his commitment eventually. Um, as a player, more speedy, more agile than than a guy like Elijah Thomas. But 
Um, obviously, look at his frame, a little bit shorter, probably a guy that could could play the slot um, rather than just kind of burn you deep. So I like to get it. It's If you pair him with Elijah Thomas, it's, I mean, you have a one-two punch on the edge. You put Elijah Thomas on the outside, Mosey on the inside, and that's, that's tough to cover. It, this is something that I've wanted to talk to you about, and I haven't really even brought it up. I thought about texting you again, like at late last night while I was watching <laughs> the USA women's team actually draw the Netherlands. So good for them for avoiding a loss. But we saw Oklahoma get with with Jeff Lebby before Emmett Jones arrived. He saw Oklahoma started starting to get these big tree wide receivers. Remember that that last time Oklahoma had the, all those wide receivers that were trees, the Dallas Todd 20, year, twenty fourteen, uh, yeah, yeah, like the Dallas Todd. Yeah, only one of them worked out, right? Uh, Jeff Mead, Dallas Todd, and uh, Mark Andrews. Yeah, Mark Andrews is the only one that worked out, and I think he was a he was labeled as a wide receiver by some, some by uh, tight end flex. It just really depends on what service you you really looked at, and so. Oklahoma definitely has their trees in on the edges, but now with Emma Jones, you're also seeing wide receivers that are about six foot, six foot one, also getting into the mix. And so for you, do you see this as Oklahoma is now like finding more depth, but also more guys that can play multiple positions that will make this offense, I guess, multi-dimensional because with those tall guys, you're not going to expect the Jaden Gibson or a Nick Anderson really to play in the slot, you know? And so right. with these six, one guys, six, two guys, six foot guys, I think you can really mix it up a lot, especially with the amount of speed and IQ, like you mentioned that they bring to the game. Does this kind of like also in, and to go off of that, do you think this solidifies Emmett Jones as a dude? If Levy were to look, maybe look elsewhere as well. I think it puts him in the conversation for some jobs for sure. But I mean, I don't really know what his offensive background would be sure. like what kind of offense he would run. Um, I think he's probably a couple of years out from that. That's, it's kind of the same argument where people are like, well, is Bill Biedenboe going to go be an offensive coordinator or Kel Gundy? Does he want to go be right. an offensive coordinator? I know he's the passing uh, game coordinator this year. Or maybe that's yeah, a title for extra money. Things. Could be. A, Usually could be a title it's, it's for extra money, money but yeah. It's also a thing where you move up in the ranks of the coaching. So, um, but yeah, he's a guy where you just don't really know his offensive identity. Kind of in the same way that, like, Kale, like, when he, everyone was like, why don't you just hand off the offense to Kale? It's like, well, what does he do? Yeah, sure. Is he going to run, like, the Lincoln offense? Is he going to run, like, you a hyper offense? Yeah. And it was, like, a mix of so, both. It's like It looked like Chuck Long a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure he'll get there. He's a very talented guy, very good recruiter, a um, lot of connections in Texas. So that makes you attractive as a head coach eventually. Um, but as far as just, you know, does he replace Lebby? I think it's a little too early for that one. And I think it's, that's a fair question. I was just thinking along the lines of, man, this guy is, I mean, with Stoops, when the program started to grow stale uh, around the 2010s till about – Lincoln arriving on, on campus, you needed, everybody talked about the word, the word rainmaker. Oklahoma needs a coach or a guy in the program that can consistently bring in that talent. And it's very apparent 
that Emmett Jones is looks like that guy on Brent Venable's staff. I mean, he's gotten a lot of dudes already that already have you really psyched up for 2024. He's already going after some pretty significant 2025 guys. He's single-handedly kind of like delivers you Dejon Terry, which is also very kind of him as well. And so I, I, I wasn't really alluding to him to replace Jeff Levy, but he is definitely, it was well known before he arrived at Oklahoma, before he really even uh, was the guy at Tech that he was very well respected within the football community, albeit they were high school coaches. And then of course he does well at Kansas. He does well at tech. And then Oklahoma says, well, we need a wide receivers coach. And then he takes that step stool right up to Oklahoma. And so getting into the coaches, let's go ahead and do that. So great, great segue there, Steven. Um, there's always been an allure to certain head coaches at Oklahoma. And since we don't want to get too deep into this, I mean, like Switzer, his allure was pretty, pretty simple. I mean, it was the eighties. They were playing the game and he was really, really, really good at that game. What is, what was the, let's, let's compare Brent Venables to Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley, which are totally two different philosophies and just what we saw in terms of how they attracted others to their program, how they built their programs or kind of mainstayed the program for Riley, if you will, because he was only there for five years, I think. Um, and so what is the allure of playing for Brent Venables in comparison to a Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley? Well, I think you look at Brent's history. He's one of the, the greatest defensive minds, um, at least in the, in the current form of college football. Um, the other thing is you look at how many titles he's won at, at Clemson and also at Oklahoma. Um, and people think, you know, this is a guy that he's done it before, what, three, four times. Uh, he's a, eventually going to do it as a, a head coach. So, I think when you look at Oklahoma and Brent Venables, you look at a, a program where you can go win a championship. You can go win a playoff game, playoff championship. Um, but you also have like the sole mission. I think Brent's a very religious guy and mm-hmm. and some people that, that rubs them the wrong way. But yeah, I think when you're talking about 17, 18 year old kids, that's still, that means something to him. So I think there's a, a, a sense of trust in that and that you can be developed, you know, both on and off the field have a relationship with your coaches with a bunch of former players you have a network of, of guys that you can kind of lean on the rest of your life um, whereas you look at a guy like lincoln the attraction was you're going to come play offense and you're going to go to the nfl and, and we might win a playoff game here or there but sure. all we do is produce you know quarterback uh nfl quarterbacks and nfl receivers and nfl linemen so um i don't want to say it was shallow but it just didn't feel like there was much depth to the program under Lincoln, whereas Brent Venables, he's added all these extra layers where it's just more attractive to players. And so like with that said, just like a direct comparison to Lincoln, I and I think Lincoln's the allure for playing for Lincoln was like like you just mentioned, like, yeah, like especially if you're a quarterback, if you're a you're a positional athlete that you are not on the line for the most part. You can go do some really cool things. I mean, he, he even got like dudes H back gigs, you know, and that's that's 
that's not at a premium in the NFL quite just yet. That whole H back role. It a lot of teams are using them now, but they're starting to use them more and more. And but like you mentioned, Britt Venables, what I think is interesting is that Lincoln come Lincoln comes in after Stoops basically just has the ship sailing for however many years in a row and doing really well, like he mentions, double digit wins for the majority of those seasons. And he wins over the over the uh, course of his career, wins over half the league championships that he was coach of. And with Brent, he's, like you said, defensive-minded, but is still able to get those offensive, elite offensive talents. I mean, Jackson Arnold is right there. And at any moment, Oklahoma, and could be just due to depth or injury or whatever, yada, yada, something weird happens. I mean, Oklahoma feels pretty comfortable in sending in a Jackson Arnold type. Then you already have your 2025 quarterback already built out with another wide receiver that is highly rated, although, albeit, he's from Oklahoma again. Okay, preps, which is another conversation that, again, reinvesting in a very deep class. And you mentioned this like a few weeks back. Investing in a very, very deep 2025 Oklahoma class is going to be really, really good for Brent. And the fact that Brent focuses on okay preps a little bit more, that's going to reap so many benefits. But Riley, he got those offensive guys. He so struggled with getting those defensive guys, especially with the, you know, how overt he was on Twitter or like all the, all the chaos and fun he created with the eyeball emojis. I mean, like fans, they were there for it. He created that engagement. Brent's not that really type of guy. He lets others do that for him, but they're still getting that offensive talent on top of what they're already getting defensively. Like you mentioned, he is a defensive guy. He's won those titles. He's got skins on the wall. He's got rings to prove it at both schools. He's been at within the last 20 years. He's got, he's, he's got the proof and he's got the proof that he knows how to stop sec teams and SEC teams that are spread-based, power spread-based, or just straight-up line up in a cloud of dust. And so I think that's the big allure for playing for Brent Venables, along with, you mentioned the relationship side a little bit. Brent is very open-door. Come and talk to me if if you need to talk about something, get something off your chest, what are you thinking? Lincoln, um, he put on the I I feel like he puts on the facade of playing favorites and acted as acted as if there was an open door policy but it seemed very transactional. What are you doing for me lately instead of what's on your mind? Uh let's talk about football and nothing really else. That that was the vibe I also got along with the idea that Brent is more about the parents as well than Lincoln ever was. Lincoln is always about the teenager more so than the actual teenager that's going to be entrusted to you by those parents. And that's where I think Brent, and you mentioned this before, Brent is a pretty decent combo of Dabo and Stoops more than we were thinking what we were going to see 
from him and Stoops. Like, how do him and Stoops stack up in comparison to the allure of playing for each other? Because, I mean, they have similar backgrounds. They defensive dudes, uh, hard nosed, blue collar guys, blue collar families work their work their asses off, etc. And so, I view them pretty similarly. Yeah, it's kind of tough because Bob came in. I mean, he wasn't an unknown. He's he's pretty highly sought after coordinator, um, and then, then arrived yeah. in Oklahoma. Uh, but he he won a championship in his second year, and everyone's all of a sudden like, "Oh yeah, this is this is the future." Oklahoma's back. Like they're they're back to the the Switzer era because Bob was just so successful in the early two thousands, and I think that's part of it. Bob's obviously obviously he's a you know, previously a football player. Um, kind of knows the background, got to know the 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 kids of the early 2000s pretty well, and then he kind of tapered off. Whereas I think Brent Venables, I think he just continues to adapt. Like, I don't think obviously he's gotten older, but he still seems like he's right there with everybody. He doesn't feel like he's phased out. Whereas you look at what you know, Bob did after 2010, 2011, it was all the coordinators, you know, and then Bob would show up at the very end. Um, so I don't want to say like Bob was a bad guy. I think everybody loved Bob, but sure. there was a point where you could kind of tell that Bob was not out of the game, but he just wasn't really connecting as well. Maybe he's like falling behind like the times in which like, like the early he, 2000s, I mean, he just tired. 2000s. And maybe the, and, maybe, you know, the maybe stuff with too. his dad, you know, dying early. Sure. And that's probably weighed somewhat on him. It's like, yeah. Hey, you know, I can't keep doing this recruiting thing, you know, all year long. Like right. I, I need to give myself a break. And obviously with Lincoln being there, that, that was the opportunity to do so. So now I could see him just saying like, Hey, I need to look out for myself as much as I love this program. I got to do what's right for me. Cause I know my family history. So it's sure. could be both ways. And I, and I really like the, I really like the point that you made that he Brent Venables has been adapting to the game year by year as he sees it go by and whereas bob i'm like it's, it's not to say that bob didn't try didn't try to adapt to the game but i mean things change so rapidly for recruiting in the like what post 2008 2009 things just change so rapidly yeah, 2009 uh with with recruiting everything is all is all digital like you don't like go and actually just see guys and you're like the only kept secret around um things you only had one recruiting signing day and it was just different a different game different times and i think that's honestly we got mike into trouble which was mike was not really adapting to a game too well that was new in the spread even though they kind of proliferated proliferated it but it was interesting because mike really i mean where's he at again this year fiu is that what, what we decided a few years a few weeks back that mike's coaching yeah I don't know we, if mike's oh no coaching. he, he, he might still be he was, was an at alabama still i can't remember I, I remember he was supposed like, to go to texas I remember he was supposed to go to Texas, and then as soon as the donors found out, they lost their minds. Oh. And... He's the linebackers coach at uh, Kentucky with Mark. Oh, okay. Oh, Mark good Stoops. for him. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully he does well. 
Well, that'll be weird seeing both of them in the in the next coming years. <laughs> um, but no, Brent Brent has adapted to the game to the point where he's like, oh, I don't have my four three uh, defense. Okay, four two five. Uh, he's like, oh, I don't have that many defensive linemen. I'm gonna go study John Haycock and learn a three three five instead. And so he has been still on top of the game, still studying the top offenses and really just trying to stay ahead of the curve and not fall behind and try to catch up. And I think that's a really big thing that you mentioned. I think that's really important. I mean, the guy innovated defense with specific positions that were made up and is still trying to keep up with what modern offenses are doing but still force them to try to play to what his defenses are doing as well. So I think that's also alluring to him. And so focusing on the player side as well, I mean, Gabriel came out, you know, as players do when they have media availability, excuse me, and mentions, oh, he wants to improve his efficiency. Oh, he wants to work on his teamwork. Uh, He wants to work on his uh, footwork. He they they're practicing a lot of situational football because that they could always get the you know 30 yards on first and 10 or 40 yards on second and 12, but couldn't get four yards on third and three or something like that, or fourth and or four and two, and that they've been really hammering that. And so A, I suppose, is why wouldn't he say that? I mean, I think every college football player is going to say yeah we're working on these things we're working to improve these things but also be i mean what are things that you would like to see corrected that you think are possible and to what extent i suppose i mean like dylan gabriel situational football especially with austin stogger in the mix i could see realistically improving especially with those third downs or those fourth downs when you need a large target to box out a safety or a linebacker. He's the guy that can do it. Um, but what are some other things that you think that Oklahoma can improve on and could be corrected and make the team better? I think if you're talking about Dylan Gabriel specifically, um, you know, obviously if the line improves, you'd like to see his footwork get better. Like you want to see him get planted. You want to see him drive those, those throws through and not just sailing pretty high off the back foot. Right. Cause we saw, I mean, probably at least once or twice a game where Oklahoma had an easy first down and Dylan Gabriel just simply overthrew it. Yeah, even on um, third I mean, third downs too. Gosh. Like that just – that can't happen at this level of football. So, um, as far as him, you know, making those comments, I get it. Last year, you can call it year one, year zero. Um, this is the first year in the Brent Venables era where they could look back at themselves. Like last year, there was – you couldn't really say, you know, this is the weakness of this team. This is what we got to work on because there's nothing to go off of. Sure. Um, but this year, obviously, you can look back at the the 2022 season and be like, "Well, we sucked here. We were pretty good here. We got to work on some things here, and let's kind of move forward with this." So, um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of improvements. Dylan Gabriel specifically just needs to work on you know just fundamentals. Sure, like he's got a talented arm. He's, he's I feel like he has a pretty good mind for the game. Not mm-hmm. you know. He doesn't understand everything, but some of the things he does, I feel just, I just feel like he rushes it. Yeah, and like, the thing that kind of like weirds weirds me out about it is that he doesn't 
seem like a player that runs hot. Like he doesn't seem like a player that he gets outside of his mindset a lot. He just fundamentally does not make that move. I suppose he didn't seem like a guy. He seems like a guy that keeps it cool on the field. And, but just like, again, like you mentioned, he widens his stance, throws off the back foot, overcompensates, overthrows. And like you mentioned, we saw plenty of those. Uh, A lot of them were like slants or verts that were wide open. We saw him during the spring game with Telby Bunkley Shelton, especially on pivotal downs too. I was just thinking, what do you think about this year's, because especially in these situational kind of like what, when they talk about situational football and situations that they're breaking down, it's the third downs, it's the third and shorts. It's that's what Oklahoma needed to work on the most. Do you think that this tight end group is better suited for this offense and Dylan Gabriel Fourth situational football, like albeit a third, a third and short or fourth and short, then maybe Braden Willis was last year in that tight end room because essentially you're replacing your your take two. You had the I can't even remember his name, and I think he got into a little bit of trouble. I can't remember. I don't want to. I don't want to do that, but speculate. But the tight end transfer from the from Missouri who was basically just a blocking Uh-oh, tight Daniel end. Daniel Parker. Daniel Parker, who he, he's basically blocking tight end. That's what Blake Smith is from AM. Just a basic, a basic blocking tight end. They catch the ball a little bit more. Uh, and then Braden Willis, he was more athletic. Six foot four, Stogner, less athletic, but more of a guy that can be a, of a bigger body. Six, seven. Do you think this year's tight end room is better suited for those kind of situational downs than maybe last year's. Yes. And no, like obviously Stogner, I think it's just a better target in your emergency situations. Cause he's just so yeah. big. Yeah. You know, he's got hands. So even with Dylan Gabriel, you know, throwing it, you know, five yards higher, you know, you at least you give yourself a chance with Austin Stogner um, sure. on the, on the other end. I mean, Braden Willis was just so good. He was just so versatile. Yeah. You could use him in so many roles where, I mean, Stogner, I think he's going to be good, but it's predictable. Like, you just and, know what he can do. And Braden Willis, he threw it. He ran it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's a pass catcher. He's a blocker. Um, there's just always that question mark of what do we have to do to cover this guy on third down? And that's what makes me think that Jalil Farouk is used in – more ways than he was even used last year and last year he even did those jet sweeps uh so i think i think Braden, not Braden Wells, but uh, jalil farouk is used kind of in the ways that Braden willis was just because of how how big he is in comparison to everybody else and that they don't have any other tight ends or wide receivers that can really relatively do the same things or h-backs to that extent either you would have Mikey Henderson and other guys, but hey, that that that's changed, and so it's just, it was it's just unique to think about that that prospect of that. But let's go on to some. I mean, like other things I like to see corrected: pass rush, get off the field on third and five. Get, I mean, <laughs> create more well, pressure. Like they, they took steps to correct that. And if in the, I, I believe they did like, well, they have like 
I feel like they can throw out like what two to two and a half to three pretty decent waves of defensive linemen out there. Yeah, I mean you have Bothroyd, you have Trace Ford, you have R. Mason Thomas, who's who's put on weight. He looked pretty good in the spring game after yeah. I went back and rewatched it the other day. Adaboare. Deshaun Terry. Yeah, Adaboare will he'll probably be on the field pretty soon. So uh, you got options there. Gilliam. You still have Ethan Jordan Downs, Kelly. Jordan Kelly. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys you can I I, I know we're missing Philip Pay, the other guy. There's 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 a lot of guys you could throw out there that you feel comfortable maybe in the rotation. And so, I mean, just getting more pressure, just getting more pressure is something that I can see being corrected just by the guys they brought in. And so just kind of going on. Today is a big day for the Big 12. Or what could be now? Goodness. They're talking about adding maybe four more teams to having 14 teams after having 10 teams in the big 12, but Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma, the big 12, they add the other teams. They announce Colorado the day before Colorado says, yeah, we're going to join the big 12 in the 20 in, in 2024. And so the big 12 comes out and announces, by the way, Colorado is going to join. And the Colorado's like, yeah, we're going to do that uh, tomorrow though. And so the big 12 already gave them a heads up. And then, uh, Bray Ormark has been pretty adamant in saying that they are going after other Pac-12 teams. And depending on their answers, then they'll go after the guys like uh, that were already being discussed, uh, such as like UConn, Memphis. Those were the guys in the first round, aside from Cincinnati and BYU in Houston and UCF. They would go after those first two guys in UConn and Memphis. That'd be good basketball, for being honest. Then looking maybe the San Diego State or UNLV, even though I don't think that would be a legitimate thing. I think they would stop just short if that was the case. And so, like, if you're the Big Twelve, I mean, like, who do you who are you targeting now? The Arizona schools? You would think just Arizona, and to keep it at fourteen. Um... And Brent Yormark, there's got to be something. Something's already back-channeled that we don't know about because you back you go back to uh, Big 12 Media Day when he's like, we have a new logo, but we're not going to unveil it until next year. Yeah. So that tells me, okay, they're going to add, you know, go to 14 or 16 or something like that because there's no reason you have a logo now and all of a sudden you don't want to unveil it. So sure. they're going to rename the conference like the Big 14, 16, whatever they want to call it. Um, Southwest Conference. I don't know if there's a trademark on that. So, uh, Arizona makes sense. I know someone on Twitter who's, you know, a decent insider was saying, you know, someone outside the four corner schools. So maybe like an Oregon State, something like that. But that really wouldn't make too much sense. Or Stanford or someone. I don't think Stanford would want to go to the Big 12 just because of their ideals. Um, but yeah, why is I mean, Boise, Colorado, why is, why is Boise not in these conversations? That's what I want to know. Why is it Boise? just doesn't oh, wait, wait. like? I suppose Utah fun had, brand, like, but I don't know if why they not had Utah? anything. Why not Utah? Utah would be fun. Utah should be in the Big Twelve. It would make a lot Utah of sense. Utah would probably. Oh, man, they would be in the Big Twelve conference title, like just conversation right away. Yeah, I mean, you have whatever. 
whatever the conference is called. You have um, Utah, and then you have Utah at home, which is Kansas State. And so, like, yeah. look, looking at the new Big 12, just with Colorado added, not look, not really speculating on who else might join or whatever, this feels like the Island of Misfit Toys. We were talking about this before the podcast. And the reason why, like, I tweeted out, like, hey, out of the new Big 12, what's the destination you would really want to go visit? And... Like outside of like Provo, just to go and see like all the mountains and all the scenery behind the stadium, and it's an established brand, national national brand. I don't see a school on here that I'm like extra super excited to go to their stadium that is small, go to their uh, go go to their uh, football stadiums and not necessarily have the most pageantry. I mean, like, heck, UCF, even you you have two teams in the conference now which claim illegitimate national titles. I mean, <laughs> UCF claims a national title that if they would have played a top-five opponent, they would have been smashed. But because they went undefeated and were not included in the college football playoff, they are just going to claim it anyways, which that makes sense. If I was UCF, I probably would too. Uh Oklahoma State just stole it from the military while they were in a war, uh, during a during a war. So I mean, that just sounds like Oklahoma State in general. But okay, whatever. But that sounds like Russia. I'm just throwing it out there, you know. Um, of this new Big Twelve conference, without Oklahoma and Texas, which takes a significant amount of money away from the conference, who wins that conference often, or is it just like parity every year? It feels like parody. Obviously, you look at like a TCU or a Baylor who has found success and gotten to the Big 12 title, and you look at them and you're like, oh, you know, maybe they could they, they could lead the conference, right? Mm-hmm. And then I look at, you know, UCF and Gus Malzahn, and Gus Malzahn's a really good coach, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the bodies there. So, like, can he turn that program around fast enough to make them a Big 12 contender? And would he stay uh, if they were a Big 12 contender, or would he go to – a bigger job. Yeah, that's tough because he's just so far in his career where maybe that's just like, that's the spot for him. Like, you know, I got like five years left. I'm going to make the best of it. It's a power five um, conference. Makes sense. Texas Tech with McGuire. I mean, if, you, if they keep pulling in those like, those talented players that OU or Texas or whoever else doesn't make a priority, they could, they could make a case for themselves. And then obviously – Kansas State always does their thing every two to three years. So I feel like it's more parity, but out of the new schools, maybe UCF is in the best position to kind of enter that conversation. I mean, UCF has already gotten a recruiting bump just because they have a Power 5 badge now on the on their jerseys. I mean, they've, they got a four-star tight end, which they've notoriously been horrible at tight end recruiting and suddenly they're reeling in some pretty high quality players. I think they reeled in another uh, four-star guy just the other day, a uh, wide receiver or something like that. Uh, they, so in all, of course, Gus Malzahn, like to, like you said, he's a good coach. And I think it's straight parody. I mean, like I mentioned, the, there are a lot of teams here. There, This conference is going to be a lot of fun to tune into because the teams 
are, I mean, let's be honest, like you have a variety of different play styles. Don't get me wrong. But you also have a variety of different teams that you know will not win a national title in football. They won't. And so, but they're all kind of just like jumbled up there to where anybody could win that league. I mean, Kansas is coming on. And, we, and at the right time for OU to in Texas to, to leave, Kansas is coming on and actually challenging uh, to the point where people are saying that Kansas had, has several preseason all Big 12 selections. Not that it really even matters, but it just, I would not actually. Like, if I'm OSU, and if I am Kansas State, because Kansas State fans seemingly, like, like the second most offended group for OU and Texas leaving the conference for some reason, if I'm, they're, like, have, having dual personalities. On one end, it's OU and Texas are the worst they are the worst teams in existence and they are greedy and this, the way that's what, that's why this conference is the way it is. And on the second hand, they're like, Oh, Colorado's back. Everything is so great now and we can win championships. And it's like, what what are you wanting to do? Are, Are you, are you just wanting to bitch and complain that your team can now suddenly actually, win a league title or are you still on the train of complaining about OU in Texas despite the fact that like again it's OU in Texas and I just I just don't make it make sense just make it make sense what why 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 are they doing this to themselves I suppose as far as like talking to themselves up or that's like what? Anything that has to do, like even with Big 12 Media Days, anything that has to do with these guys, it's everything that comes out of their mouth is OU Texas and nothing really about their own teams. Well, I think most of it's just because we know that's what's going to get views, right? So that's yes. going to bring the most attention. Like, look at the the Dion versus Brent Venables thing that's not really happening, but it's happening. Like, people just keep talking about it. And, you know, maybe there's other things that are said, like like TCU. Uh, they talked about, you know, how are we going to replace, you know, Max Duggan, Quentin uh, Johnson, those kind of guys. And that was kind of just glossed over. It's like, you know, what do you think about OU in the last year? You want to beat them? And they're like, yeah, we want to do that. And that's what goes on the headline. So, yeah, I just think there's a lot of content that was just left out of the Big 12 conference like those those smaller interviews that's where all the the meat was and it was just glossed over because it's OU in Texas versus everybody else and that's that's the headline and so then where are the marquee matchups for the new big 12 that's why I call it the island of misfit toys I mean the marquee matchups when OU in Texas were there was when other teams were playing OU in Texas (laughs) on a night game uh Baylor TCU as one, I mean, just OSU doesn't really games? have. That would, I guess, that'll be a rivalry. I don't know. You know, if you want to call it that, OSU, like, nobody. I don't know. Like Texas Tech, I felt like Texas Tech and Oklahoma was not quite a rivalry, but you always look forward to that game. Yeah, you knew it was going to be tough. Because it, it was just, it was just crazy. Because you had Mahomes and, and Mayfield essentially. Yeah. 
but it's, but UCF, it's just, what do they do? That's just another, and that's and that's another reason why I asked. Like, hey, what is what is the reason? Like, what are what are places you'd want to go visit? And I knew the answer would definitely be Provo, and maybe because of today's news or yesterday's news, Colorado, and it has nothing to do. It really has nothing to do with how good the team is. It's the scenery. It's the yeah. I guess the pageantry. Your stories are going to be Dion versus Mike Gundy or Dion versus somebody else. It's it's going to be Colorado versus like a Texas Tech. Like what is Joey McGuire doing against Dion? That kind of thing. Because you have a guy that is pretty rooted in Texas, and then you have Dion, who's pretty flashy, obviously from Texas, coached high school in Texas, but he's trying to move his school into Joey McGuire's recruiting grounds. So that'd be a, that'd be a fun matchup. Like it's not going to bring national attention, but if you're like a big 12 fan or just someone who's a little more knowledgeable in college football, that's probably a matchup you're going to want to watch. Yeah. And, and that's fair. That's fair. And it's just, it's just interesting to think about the new big 12 again, pivoting to my next question. Cause Gerald asked me this last week. We talked about it a little bit. What is the destination you're looking forward to most when Oklahoma is in the SEC? Oh, man. It's tough to decide, and it's not because of the scenery, right? Like, Baton Rouge is not a pretty town, but I just want to experience a game there. Exactly. And it's not not because... It's a little nicer, but... sure. And that's the thing. I mean, like Bama would be fun. Going you to Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa. You've got you know Georgia. You've got Rocky Grove. Top. Uh, yeah, Rocky Top. All in all those teams like have been good. And three of the four teams you mentioned have challenged for national titles. Not that f- like not that far in the past. And so you're not going just because there's mountains. It looks nice. Like no. It, that team is good. It wants to destroy you. The atmosphere is nuts, and there's pageantry, and also, I don't know, like in Baton Rouge, you're not too far from the French Quarter, and Tuscaloosa. Well, you're just kind of the football. You're you're you're, you're there for you're there, you're not too far from beaches and stuff like that. But at the same time, if you're going to Tuscaloosa, you're going there for a football game. You're not really going in any there for the scenery or anything. But for the Grove, I mean. You're going there for all, everything and for the Rocky Top. There's a lot of things to enjoy there. I mean, it's Georgia and Athens. It, there's just so much that you're getting in the SEC, which is, again, a reason why I think the Big 12 should lay off, like, naming their next iteration of the conference the big whatever. Just the SEC. You can just call it the SEC. You don't have to worry about numbers that don't make sense. And so it's just interesting to look at reasons why we would go to certain places because I gave the same exact answer on Gerald's podcast the other day. I was like, oh, I would Death Valley, 100%. LSU, I need to, I need to be there. It's just that team, uh, for those that have short memories, absolutely murdered Jalen Hurts in that Oklahoma Sooners team in 2019 on route to a national title. 
they did. It was a buzzsaw with Joe Burrow uh, at the SQB, but they had a, and Justin Jefferson and a lot of dudes on that team. And so Mark Chase was on that team. Gosh, it's stupid, right? And you just have a lot of talent and more than scenery to take me places. And people that also answer like Cincinnati, Oklahoma's already played Cincinnati in Cincinnati. Of course, they played it at uh, the Bengals Stadium, but still, like, that's whatever. Anyways, Howard Schnellenberger, or not fondly thought of as OU fans, as Schnelly, the John Blake years, he actually got his own uh, trophy today uh, dedicated to him because he coached at both Louisville and Miami. It is a pair of boots in which he wore on the sideline. And um, he, I mean, he, he was the reason, one of the reasons for the, the U being uh, really good that first time around, I, which is a 30 for 30. I would recommend both, both you want part one and part two. Oklahoma actually has a, uh, has a trophy for a rivalry game in the sec maybe awaiting them. I don't know if they're going to do that anymore or how long they have done that or when's the last time they have done that. They are technically rivals of Missouri and it is a, it's the OU Missouri peace pipe. That is the trophy in which I guess OU Missouri play for or played for. Are there any trophies that you really, really like and or dislike and if you had to add on a trophy to a certain game, what trophy would it be? Doesn't OSU and Tulsa have a trophy? Do they? It's like the Phillips 66 something. That sounds They, about they right. may not have a trophy, but I know they named it. It's like the Turnpike Classic or something. That track. And it's just the dumbest thing ever. You got to get rid of that. That makes, I mean, it makes Tulsa look more legitimate and, OSU just looks terrible for doing it. So, I, I mean, that would be my answer. That's that's an awful trophy. Um, man, there's so many good trophies in college football. Golden Hat's got to take the, the the cake, though. Like, if you're rolling around the, the football field in Golden Hat, that's that's iconic. So, because like, I mean, you can't take these golden pair the of boots bowl. off the trophy. You can take <laughs> the golden hat off and wear it. And, and flaunt it with the horns down after the game. Yeah, it's got to be a prop. Like, your trophy has to have, like, some some utility to it. So, I mean, Golden Hat, that's got to be, like, the best trophy you can get outside of, like, a national championship trophy. Well, of course. How do you feel about it? I saw... trophy's, like, boring. Yeah, I saw um, our good friend Red Dirt Sport. I saw him talk about, like... There was a tweet that mentioned the what is the worst rebrand of a trophy you've seen. And it was, and I, I agreed, the old Big 12 championship trophies, like with the crystal ball, a bowl in comparison to what they are now with just like this pillar with a silver football at the top, I think is garbage rebranding. Um, at some point, you have to introduce like a chain as a trophy, right? That you can yeah, wear. Yeah, I mean... What is the the Minnesota versus Wisconsin? I think is that the axe or the it was at the it's the, axe, was that the, the Paul Bunyan's axe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then the one That's is like a cool. bucket or something like that. The and, uh, 
I think old USC, old Oaken Bucket, yeah. USC and Notre Dame is it USC Notre Dame place for like the uh, the jeweled shillelagh, which is a fun word to say. Something like that. I mean, there's I mean, there's nothing better than the golden hat. Axe comes in like right behind it. I think that if you're like Alabama and Georgia, because they have a rivalry kind of going, or I got the shillelagh there. Let's go. Let's go. Alabama, Auburn. They have the Iron Bowl. Is it? Is there? I'm not even paid attention to that. Is there a special trophy for that? The Iron Bowl, or is it just? No, bragging I think you just poison each other's trees. Oh, if you gosh. win. Harvey <laughs> Updike was that his name? The guy that did it. Uh, Something he was like, like yeah, that. With a with whatever this chemical was, and like they know that tree ultimately is going to die as that poison goes, keeps on going through that tree and tumor's corner. I mean, I, I know in Arkansas. That bell. It's on wheels. Yeah. Mm. How do you feel about the Bedlam trophy? Last one's no, going to be handed Isn't out. Isn't it just year. like a metal, just a metal cutout of uh, Oklahoma, right? Yeah. It's yeah. It's that it's, thing. That's boring. It's terrible. Like it just looks like I can go get it at Walmart. It I prefer I prefer the Arkansas LSU trophy more, which is just LS a a map of Louisiana stacked with Arkansas on top as a trophy. That's it. It's a terrible trophy. I'll take that. Apparently uh TCU and Texas Tech have a trophy called the Saddle, so there's your uh, rivalry game. It's your, yeah, that's that's your new big rivalry game, Big 12. Hope you love it. <laughs> Hope you enjoy it all. That's, that's what I would say. Oh, goodness. But I'm done talking about trophies. Yep. I, I goodness, it's almost an hour. Um, what would, what would you, if Oklahoma had to, create a trophied rivalry within the sec like if you're looking for a new rival in the sec not like arkansas or missouri because hate already exists there for various reasons but if you're looking for a new rival in the sec who are you really pinpointing to me i'm pinpointing lsu it seems geographically right like, yeah, I don't it's close think enough you where you get... could just you're gonna have so many fans travel either way. It's it's an eight, eight hour drive, not bad. Tennessee. See, I thought you fans travel well to Tennessee. Florida would be kind of cool. Yeah, but they already have the Georgia thing, so I think the battle of the Crimson's style. would be fun, especially when Alabama stops being so dominant. I think there's like a little rivalry there. They've gone back and forth. I don't think it's like a legitimate one, but yeah, I think there's mutual. Everyone's going to tune into Oklahoma, Alabama. Yeah, I think there's mutual respect there for sure, though. LSU would be a fun one. Yeah, LSU would be really fun. Goodness, but that's all I got, dude. Anything you got? Uh, recruiting. We talked a little bit about uh, recruiting the, the beginning of the podcast with Elijah Thomas, Kamari Moore. Uh, Isaiah Mosey, you also have, you know, 
guys out there like Gus Cordova, I think is a trending the right way for Oklahoma. Desan Brame also trending the uh, right way for Oklahoma. That'd be all be 2025. Uh, and then August, I guess, is going to be the big recruiting month with Williams. We'll see if he, I don't know if he'll announce on the first or not. There's kind of some rumors out there that he may push it back a, like a week or two. Uh, but obviously, you know, David Stone's now announcing, Caden Durham. We'll see what happens with LSU there. Yeah, Stone uh, is like a lot of big targets. Right? What was that? Stone is like the 26th, wasn't it? Twenty, Yeah, I think 26th or 28th. August one of those, towards the that? end. Yeah. Yeah. And, so. So, and, and that's big. Like, we've been on like this 25 kick, 2025 kick for about a week and a half. And this next month, that's coming up right right after this weekend pretty much is you'll see if Oklahoma is going to secure the commitments of some major, major, major prospects like Steven just mentioned in the month of August, right before the season gets kicked off. And that's something to be excited about because these are prospects that Oklahoma really hasn't been in on for a minute that these types of prospects and these caliber prospect prospects, excuse me. And you know, like you mentioned, Williams Wanieri, David Stone, all those dudes, uh, lots to like. And would you suggest that Oklahoma fans would come away happy at the end of August as of now? I think so. It, it's going to be a little bit of a bumpy road, obviously. That, that's the case with all these five-star guys, especially the defensive linemen, because everybody's competing for them, right? So, uh, you know, Williams Wanieri's taking the Oregon visit this weekend, I believe. And then we'll see if... He announces his decision on the first. Maybe it's the seventh. We'll see. Um, and then David Stone, obviously taking a visit to Alabama. He announces top six. So there's always some twists and turns. It always goes down to the last hour with the five star guys. So it'll be it'll be fun for some and very stressful for others. Sometimes you just get a nail in a tire on the way to a visit. It just happens that way. Um... <laughs> or you get grounded. Yeah, you know, yeah, or you get grounded. That's what I hear these days. Uh, God, goodness, you can, you guys, thank you for following us on the podcast, and thank you for continuing listening. If you're a first time listener, hit the subscribe button. Uh, we've noticed that just like getting more and listens and views every week as we get inch closer to football season. There is less, or I guess fewer than forty days. I think as we're recording, thirty eight days left till football season is officially back which is something that's awesome so we expect more engagement and stuff like that uh give us five stars on the podcast there's apple uh spotify so many other things you guys can subscribe to if you want to um and we appreciate you guys you guys can follow us on twitter at k underscore marabian or steven at oeftedsb I'll drop the Discord link, which I'm going to pump again. There's lots of recruiting news going on. It's completely free. And especially if, you know, you're not into threads yet. And if Twitter starts limiting your DMs as well, as they have mentioned, as they will, um, you can always join the Discord, which it's completely free. We talk about recruiting and a lot of other just random things that I think you would find enticing. So I'll put it in the bio of the podcast, but also in the link tree as well. That'll submit with this on Twitter and other uh, on threads and whatever else. But thank you guys for listening. Thanks for checking us out. And we'll talk to you guys later.